Hi, everybody. Welcome to the November 16th, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Colorado, Colorado's voter turnout coming in as second highest in the nation at just under 62%. As votes continue to be tallied this week, the margin of victory for statewide Democrats widened, with Jared Polis winning by just over 10 points, and the closest race, the one for Attorney General, was separated by six points. Patty Calhoun from Westward, a 10-point win for a Democrat who, back in the primary, was considered uh, the easiest Democrat to beat by Republicans, is pretty significant. What do you think? Well, the entire sweep of the Democrats was pretty significant. And what was interesting is a lot of people credit the mail-in ballots for Colorado with the high turnout, but we had a lot of last-second voting. Um, the voting was even higher than 62% in Denver. And Colorado also has one of the highest registration rates in the country. So we can all pat ourselves on our back for doing this civic duty. Indeed. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, Magellan Strategies poll pointed to uh, unaffiliated voters going Democrat in a midterm election for, I'm not sure the first time, but usually they go, they go to Republicans in a midterm. Uh, is this simply the Trump effect in Colorado? That's a, a huge part of it. He's very unpopular in this state compared to other states. And you know, wasn't even originally very popular with the Republicans because Ted Cruz won all 35 delegates um, at, at the Republican state convention. Uh, similar effects in, in New Mexico and to some degree in other Rocky Mountain states, what they found in, in Montana where Trump campaigned a lot, he really did stimulate a lot of voting. Some of it was by Republicans, but he also, uh, his presence encouraged a lot of Democrats uh, to come out and vote too. So, um, I hope the state Democratic Central Committee has the grace to send Donald Republican a very nice Donald Trump a very nice thank you card. <laughs> Indeed, Ed C. Lever from the Denver Business Journal. Ed, did Colorado have like, like a blue riptide, you know, all by itself here in Colorado, or is this a brand problem for the GOP? Uh, I think it's a brand problem for the GOP, but I think it's specifically tied, as David said, to, to Donald Trump. I mean, this is, uh, look, just four years ago, the GOP had a very good year in the midterms. Cory Gardner unseated a Democratic uh, US senator. They, they, they took all of the statewide offices except for the governor's office. Um, you know, this year you see it turned around. I mean, it, there's an irony to this, too. We're so good at registering, getting people out to vote, that it cost the man who really led to that, Wayne Williams, his job. Um, so, but uh, uh, I don't think this is a permanent shift, but it is one where the GOP, in this state at least, is going to need to learn to go without Trump to see future success. Krista Kiefer, columnist for the Denver Post. Uh, it's, you know, it makes a lot of headlines for the election this year, but will Democratic overreach bring unaffiliates right back to Republicans in two years? I think it's likely it's happened in the past. If you look at 2004, 2006, 2008, it was successive blue waves that hit, uh, hit the shores of, of Colorado. But those tides were, those, those waves were turned back in 2010 because there was overreach, whether it is gun laws whether it is uh, you know higher fees or things like that, Pe people want people to to, go, to govern from the center. And so, if Democrats can't do that, if they start to go all socialized medicine, I think you can expect some serious turnout on the right and some independents swinging that way next election. Late last week, Democratic lawmakers voted on state House and Senate leadership positions. As expected, Casey Becker of Boulder was elected Speaker of the House, and Leroy Garcia of Pueblo was elected Senate President. Potential legislative agenda items will likely include oil and gas regulations and potential gun control issues. Uh, Patty, uh, 
I don't think anyone expects uh, Casey Becker to turn away any sort of left proposals from the House. But will Leroy Garcia be a, uh, I guess, a not a capital G governor, but a small G governor on the engine that would be the liberal, the left side of the liberal agenda? Well, the engine is already revving up. You can tell just by how quickly the Democrats have been working on some of their pr proposals. And you can tell there will be something coming up about fracking, although Jared Polis hasn't, said, hasn't commented on what he's looking for. Both Casey Becker and the Senate Majority Leader, Stephen Fenberg, signed off on a new closed Rocky Flats letter that was sent to Fish and Wildlife and the Department of, uh, and Department of Energy last week. And although Casey Becker said that doesn't reflect that she'll necessarily put something forward about Rocky Flats, it certainly shows that people are talking about the environment. Oil and gas, they're going to be talking about that. Education, just by the number of reformers of all stripes that Jared Polis put on his task force, we're going to be seeing something about education. And it's almost inevitable that gun control will come up. The thing we have to remember is the last time the Democrats had both houses, two wound up getting recalled over gun control issues. David, in a polarized environment that we're in right now, I mean, if we look at the I guess what I would call the old school way legislators, legislators went about their business. They would look at the long game and want to be in power for a while. But now with, uh, in this polarized environment, I think we see more of the electorate wanting to get something done now from the wings of each party. Should the Democrats in charge party like it's 1999 and just do whatever they possibly can for two years? Well, uh, as my dad warned, this is one of the effects of, of term limits, which have their, their benefits too. But certainly there's people who say, well, I've, I've won my second term in the Senate and that's going to be the end of it. So why not go all in? Uh, Colorado has, for, for most of the last six decades, preferred divided government in some way, that if the House, the Senate, and the governor, that they're not all three uh, of the same party. And typically when you get them all in one party, uh, you do have instances of overreach, as, as Patty said, the, the wild rumpus of the 2013-2014 session. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt that Democrats, which now are mostly a subsidiary of Michael Bloomberg, uh, will go all out for a culture war against law-abiding gun owners. That's, that's just, uh, that's inevitable. One law I think that they will pass but probably not do a good job on is something called uh, the red flag laws or the extreme risk protection orders to say that somebody has not been convicted of a crime or been adjudicated mentally ill, uh, that uh, under certain circumstances their guns can be taken away. I've endorsed the concept well over a year ago, but the bill that was brought forward in the last legislative session was atrocious for due process. I'm currently uh, starting work on the national uh, body, the Uniform Law Commission, which creates national model laws, and hopefully we will be able to create a good national model law that fully respects all the elements of due process in, such, in, in something like this. Uh, I would be also surprised if the Colorado legislature uh, gives much attention to the due process rights uh, of the unjustly accused in this. Uh, Ed, you, uh, despite your young age, are one of the more seasoned reporters at the Capitol. Uh, what's the scuttlebutt on this? Do you, or what are you hearing from lawmakers and staff folks of 
what it could be like this next legislative session. Well, I think the first thing to understand, and you alluded to this, uh, is the idea that Casey Becker and Leroy Garcia come from ideologically different parts of the Democratic Party. Uh, Garcia is kind of your classic blue-collar um, working man's Democrat. Casey is, a, or Becker, I should say, is an environmental attorney. That's where she's coming from. Um, I think you will see a lot of things coming out of the House because they, the Democrats not only expanded their lead in the House this year, but they brought in some very liberal members of the caucus who were actually going to push this caucus further left than it was last year. Um, the Senate is not in the same position. You've got Garcia, who doesn't like to call himself a moderate, but has voted against increased oil and gas regulations in past years. You've got someone like a Rachel Zenzinger of Arvada, who lost the race for majority leader, but uh, still holds a lot of sway over there. And, and she literally told me before the election, we're going to work on oil and gas regulations. What we're gonna do, not going to do anything as extreme as what you saw Proposition 112, the setbacks measure, do. So I think, and, and then you've got you know others like Angela Williams, who are kind of considered more on the pro-business moderate side there. I think you're going to see, um, in some ways, the Democratic Senate reining in the bills that are coming from the House a little bit. Now, for the past four years, it's been House Democrats pass bills, Republicans in the Senate kill them. Now I think it's going to be House Democrats pass bills, uh, Democrats in the Senate amend them. Uh, to make them maybe a little bit more uh, doable by some of the people they're aimed at regulating. Uh, but I think it's going to be a struggle within the party. And as everyone has alluded to here, nobody wants to think again about 2013 um, uh, and going overboard. Krista, uh, you wrote a great piece in the Post today. If you haven't checked it out, please do. Uh, talking about one of the issues that people may think uh, that you think that actually would be a bit more, it could be more moderately handled by this whole democratic trifecta of power this next year. You know what, I would love to see a school choice bill come forward. And uh, we've got a, a robust charter school effort in this state, a couple hundred schools, very bipartisan. We also have uh, minority communities that are open to having a voucher program to really increase that, that number of schools that are open for, for kids and families to be able to, to get into the school that's right for them. Also, uh, Governor-elect uh, Governor Polis, uh, he has put some reformers, including pro-voucher and pro-charter school people on his transition committee for education. So I think that says that he's open to it. In the past, he has supported a limited voucher program. He's opened his own charter schools. He's very pro-charter school. So we could see something. Um, and I, that, that gives me some hope that at least the ideas will be on the table. Denver's, international, Denver's national profile got mixed reviews this week as Virginia and New York won Amazon's HQ2 bid. But Denver International Airport was named the number one airport in the country by the Wall Street Journal. Meanwhile, representatives of the U.S. Olympic Committee came to Colorado this week to discuss Denver's potential bid for the 2030 Winter Olympic Games. David, I imagine if anybody out there has corporate welfare on their David <laughs> Copel CIO bingo cards, they're about to get a hit, aren't they? Uh, they, they sure are. So uh, for DIA, it's the best airport in the country for shopping and dining. If you, your main thing, and so if you're connecting through it and you've got a three-hour connection, great, lots of stuff to do. It is the furthest airport from the city center in the United States other than Dulles Airport in Washington, D.C., and even they've got Reagan National Airport, which is, is close. And the TSA lines, according to the Wall Street Journal data, are the worst at DIA uh, of any place else. So for the, if you put aside the traveling aspect uh, of DIA, <laughs> it, it, it's outstanding. Uh, Denver, Colorado's national profile is great because thank 
thank you to the Colorado voters, to Douglas Bruce, and to everybody, my predecessors at the Independence Institute who helped pass the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, which greatly limited how much welfare could be offered to Amazon to come to Colorado. They ended up going to New York City and uh, Arlington, Virginia, where they're going to get $2 billion. This is one of the richest companies in the world, one of the richest men in the world, and they're going to take money out of the tap pockets of the working people in those cities and give them to, to billionaires. I think it, it's, it's appalling. It, it's everything that's wrong with government. Colorado doesn't need any more. I don't think Colorado needs more growth in general. We should, certainly shouldn't subsidize it. Thank goodness Amazon found bigger suckers uh, in other cities. But it, it's just, it, it's contrary. To, government is supposed to be for the common good. And it is not supposed to do wealth transfers uh, from the guy who's making 10 or $15 an hour uh, to put in the money of billionaires. But when you allow government involvement with business, this is exactly the kind of disgusting uh, things that happen. Ed, you're a guy at the Denver Business Journal. I've got to imagine you'll be able to answer this question well. Was this a good or bad week for Denver? Uh, I think as a whole it's a, uh, a middling week for Denver. Um, and I say that focusing mostly on Amazon. Um, yes, people wanted Amazon to come here. I mean, originally this is a, a company that was looking at a $5 billion economic impact, 50,000 jobs. Clearly they split it up between two areas here. Uh, and, and there's a lot of things that, you know, not winning that means that we, we've still got, you know, uh, to do our own recruiting of, of, of companies, of, of growing of our own companies, retaining of our own companies to kind of build up for that future workforce as well. Um, at the same point, however, uh, a lot of people looked at Denver just being in the mix this far uh, as, as being a win. And I think only after uh, you saw the final decision did a lot of people come out and say, look, i got to be honest, we never saw ourselves as being up there uh, at the top of the list. Anyway, Tom Clark, the former Metro Denver EDC director, put it well. He's like, Amazon wants to take over the world. You take over the world from the East Coast, not by building your next headquarters 800 miles from your current headquarters. Um, so Denver had uh, population disadvantages. Denver had um, geographical disadvantages. It, overall, it, it learned a little bit, too. And, and here's what people are saying. Hopefully, we learned a little bit about, we talked to Amazon, honestly, about our problems with transportation and affordable housing. Well, why don't we go fix them now? Now that we've talked about them so much for the last year, why don't we take that energy and say, okay, Amazon's not going to help us. We're going to have to help ourselves with that. Uh, as far as DIA goes, that's nice. It's one, uh, it, it, it's one accommodation for us. Um, I, I will say we also have extremely low prices at DIA, which went into that ranking as well. Uh, and as far as the Olympics goes, uh, this is going to be a tough road ahead, especially if both European cities drop out of the bidding for the 2026 Winter Olympics, because then it will almost automatically go to Salt Lake because it'll be ready to host it, and they're not going to put it in its country, uh, same country, two years and two cycles in a row. Uh, Chris, I'm going to uh, piggyback right where uh, Ed left off. It feels that. They're coming to Denver to see if we want to do the Winter Olympics, but the people don't seem to want to do it. Uh, we have a history of already saying no to the Winter Olympics. Salt Lake City has already proved they could do it just not that many years ago. Uh, they seem like you'd do it to be nice, almost like you know certain visits around the holidays. To, you've got to go over to a certain family member's house because it's the holidays. You've got to do your thing. But you don't necessarily really want to be there. It's not going to really go that way. That's what it seemed with the Olympic Committee this week. Maybe I'm being cynical. What do you think? You know what? I think if we don't get it, uh, we will have dodged a bullet. I mean, just as with Amazon, it is, there's a lot of expense on the taxpayers. Yeah, there's benefit. And in case of, of uh, Amazon, there's 
there's uh, you know jobs, but you're also milking the taxpayer, and it's really hard on on small businesses who don't get the same tax advantages. Similar with with the Olympics, you got to build this whole Olympic city, you got to do all this stuff. Yeah, it's fun, and you know maybe some of us in the press could get like passes and go to stuff. But I'm thinking, you know what? Send it to Idaho. For the record, I would love to go to the curling match. I, that being there for the the, You're a the curling fan? oh, absolutely! You could do that sport forever. People can be doing that at sixty-five years old, twenty pounds overweight, a world champion curler. It's called Canada Winner Alcohol Rock Stick. <laughs> what, what, what is it missing? Broom. What Broom. is it missing? Exactly, <laughs> Patty. We can probably go on for a long time here. This seemed like a tough week for the Sally Field of Cities. I actually think it was a good week. Let's not forget, just last week, we were the coolest floor of the dorm in a uh, just because of pot, beer, and Jared Polis. So we didn't need Amazon. And in fact, if you looked at the comments that people have said, people did not want Amazon. They were worried already about traffic. They were worried about rent. And that would have only made it worse. Better to grow internally and help local businesses than give Jeff Bezos, who really does not need a handout, a big handout. The Olympics is another one that people are very, very concerned about, much more about traffic and what it would do. And even though the committee, the exploratory committee set up by Hancock has said, we will not, you know, it'll be privately funded, no one believes that. You know, certainly the traffic is going to impact public transportation. So, and if it actually, there is going to be a ballot measure on the May, uh, May measure in, in Denver to put it to a vote of the state. I mean, so we're not going to avoid a vote on the Olympics. That's going to always be a problem. As for DIA, let's hope this is not jinxing Thanksgiving travel. Okay, amen to that. State Senator John Cook has asked Colorado Attorney General Cynthia Kaufman to investigate an alleged trip Governor John Hickenlooper made to Tesla headquarters earlier this year. The governor's office said the trip never happened, but Cook claims the, that soon after the trip, Hickenlooper ordered the state to adopt low-emission vehicle standards by 2025. Ed, uh, whether the trip happened or not and that investigation side of things seems to be the headline grabber, but not the real issue. The low vehicle emission, low emission vehicle standards do seem to be the headline. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. And in fact, I think while Cook is saying this now, um, and there's a lot of dispute around it, I think what he said uh, a couple of weeks ago was more important. And that is, he said, look, we think that this is subverting the legislative process. You're asking an unelected body uh, to not only put into uh, law these very important standards, standards that would go into effect for all cars, all new cars sold in Colorado, at the start of the year 2022 would likely raise vehicle costs, uh, not almost likely, would definitely raise them, um, and, uh, and would affect the kind of cars that people can, can buy new here. Um, but, uh, but, but he just basically said, this is something that's going to tie us to California, which is true. We're not adopting standards that are like California's. This would actually adopt California standards, as about a dozen other states have done. Uh, the questions around the policy are great ones. I mean, are we willing to pay more for our cars in order to cut down emissions? You know, we've seen both environmentalists and some industry groups like the skiing industry and the outdoor rec industry coming out for this. Uh, or do, do we not want to be governed by California, essentially? And do we want to continue in a state that 70% of new vehicles are trucks, SUVs, and other light-duty vehicles uh, to, to kind of set our own standards um, but uh, but make it make it clear this is going to be a big policy that we're going to be seeing very soon here I completely agree I remember shopping for an SUV and 
Uh, Toyota stopped making a V6. They make, only make an SUV, the RAV4 and a V4. That doesn't sound like a big deal. Until you try to go up Eisenhower a couple times in a little, little four-banger, you want a V6. And that's not, you know, polluting. I'm not, uh, not uh, uh, driving some diesel truck with big clouds of smoke behind me, but I get it. That's a real issue for Coloradans. Krista, do you smell shenanigans? You know, it does seem a little shenanigan-y um, from this sense. Is, and it, it, you know, the, the whole Cook, Hickenlooper thing, I think that's just a sort of a political ploy. John Cook's a fantastic legislator, but I, who knows how that will resolve. But these, these new standards, it seems to me that if you want to have a car that has low standards or low, low emissions, if you want an electric car, they're available. Go buy one. If it's something that you care about, if, if, if climate change is a, is a big issue in your life and you're really concerned about it, put your money where your heart is and go buy, go buy a Tesla. But don't force that on other people. We, and we don't need to be California, California East. We can be our own state and let our own, people, our own people choose what they want to do with their life, their cars, and their transportation. Patty, John Hickenberg doesn't seem to be the type of guy that would be swayed by a nice jet ride, but I do not know him like you do. What do you think? Oh, I don't think he'd be swayed by a nice jet ride. But at this moment, I'd like to point out that Elon Musk, who does not need our money, um, ripped off a local artist for a design, and it's time for him to pay up, Tom Edwards. But aside from that, uh, Hickenlooper had come out maybe after a, tra a plane ride, but I think he would have done this on his own anyway with the suggestion, an executive order, suggesting that this uh, lower emission for, um, be adapted. And... Interestingly, although Colorado doesn't want to be like California, we are always talking about the Californication of Colorado, I think we will see something pass out today, and then I think we will see endless fights about it, because it's also true that Coloradans are very independent. Look at the unaffiliated voters, and they like their trucks, and they like their cars, and especially they don't want to be California. So we're going to hear a lot of discussion about this. They also want to do something about climate change, and it's time for that discussion. David, Senator Cook is a former sheriff of Weld County. He doesn't seem the type of guy that would operate in hyperbole. Uh, this is a pretty serious claim. What are your thoughts? I, I agree with that, and he's a, a sober and serious person, so we'll, we'll see where the, the facts on that lead. But what, what we know for sure is uh, our Colorado Constitution says the people of Colorado have the sole and exclusive right of governing themselves, and John Hickenlooper has flagrantly violated that and given California, the bureaucrats, the sole and exclusive right of governing what cars people in Colorado are going to buy. Colorado is not California. It's not suitable for that. We don't, this isn't something where you can take your electric car and drive a half mile so you can go get your avocado toast somewhere in the Bay Area. People have to drive up mountains under difficult conditions. They choose trucks because those are the safest and best cars for those conditions, and they choose cars with powerful engines that can handle those Colorado conditions, which are much, much more difficult than, than California driving. So the governor, for his moral preening and virtue signaling for his 2020, for his presidential run, is significantly endangering the lives of Coloradans by putting them in cars that are less safe. And, of course, transferring money from the uh, pickup truck class of people to the Tesla class of people. Again, just another vanilla soft shoe opinion from our friend David Coppola, which I have to completely agree. Uh, let's go to Disgrace of the Week. Our favorite part of the show, as always, Miss Calhoun, please start us off. Tomorrow in Lyman, there's a commemoration of a lynching back in 1900 that is truly a disgraceful chapter in Colorado history. Preston Porter Jr., young African-American kid, was lynched and burned alive in what was probably a coerced um, 
confession for the murder of a young girl. So commemoration out there, Episcopal Church is putting it on. Go if you can. David. Well, something much less awful than that, but this country that has to live through the Jim Acosta versus Donald Trump narcissistathon. Uh, <laughs> I think probably when, when uh, the, the modern Dante writes about the, the various circles of hell, the third circle will be stuck with Acosta and Trump forever watching them fight each other. You can see this kind of enter the dragon hall of mirrors yeah, finale kind yeah. of thing. The narcissist, the yeah. you know that 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 would be the uh, the culmination. I like that. Ed, I don't know how to follow that up, but uh, I think that uh, Mitch McConnell's decision uh, to not allow a vote on the special counsel protection bill when opponents, proponents said it looks like it has enough vo uh, votes to pass was made all the more dubious by his claim that I don't get any signal that the White House wants to fire uh, Mueller. Uh, you mean like when Trump said this is a hoax of an investigation? Look, Mueller isn't a dictator, but he's bringing a case forward. He needs protection. This, this bill should come to a vote. Krista. You know, I'm going to give my, my worst out there to the FDA for banning menthol cigarettes. I guess that's now on the table. I never thought I'd live in a place where pot was legal and menthol cigarettes were illegal. I quit smoking like 21 years ago. I happened to have been a menthol smoker. Um, it's a legal substance. It, and I think it just goes to show that the right can be as nannyist as the left on occasion. Not going a long way, baby, on this one. It's time to say something nice about somebody. Patty. At the risk of giving David an excuse to talk about electing the sheriff, um, I want to congratulate the public safety, public safety in Denver, which is moving investigations from sheriff's department under a civilian so that it won't be the sheriff's department investigating the sheriff's department. David. The NASCAR Cup Championship takes place on Sunday with Martin Truex Jr. of Furniture Row Racing based in Denver, uh, one of the four drivers competing for the championship. And by the way, all NASCAR events use uh, E85 uh, clean ethanol fuel. Ed. When we talk about the great diplomatic moments in history, Pete Davidson, Dan Crenshaw, isn't exactly the 79 banging uh, the Egypt-Israel Accords. Um, but... It's notable because it's actually two people who decided to talk to each other instead of at each other. And frankly, I think we need a lot more of that, especially in this very contentious Congress we're about to see come into place. Here, here. Krista. You know, the Flat Earth Society Convention is here today in Colorado, actually in Denver. I'm not giving them a shout-out, but I appreciate that we live in a society of, of free speech where complete idiots can have a conference and no one shuts it down. I've always wondered why they can't have a conference where they just prove their point and keep walking around the world, and at some point they're exactly. going to prove themselves one way or the other. It, 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 anyway, next week is Thanksgiving, and it's time again for our special Colorado Inside Out Time Machine Marathon. Tune in from 7 to 10 p.m. We start the trip at 7 p.m. going back to 1876 in Colorado Statehood. At 8 p.m., we feature our Time Machine finale from earlier this year as we head back to 1968 at 9 p.m. and a special one-hour extended cut with our look at 1973. Now, I, I want to double, double uh, underline this part because I promised our, uh, our audio engineer and producer of our Time Machine series, Larry Patchett, this July, 1968, the one you know, we just passed, was our Time Machine series finale. Uh, we're trying to twist Larry's arm to come out of retirement to do one more next year, but he only, uh, he, he's hell-bent on saying, hey, if the people want it, I will come back. We have not been able to twist his arm. So if there are any Encore lighters out there for the Time Machine series, you want to see more volumes in this, please let us know so we can twist Larry's arm to see if we can get him for one more try. He wants to see the lighters. For everyone here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. We hope all of you have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday, 
And again, thanks for watching. Good night. Thank you.